0: Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today, we are here with Tim Kane. Tim is a good friend of mine. He's a fellow veteran, the military operations manager of New Horizons of Phoenix, an educational consultant, as well as a staunch veteran advocate. Hi, Tim. How are you today?
1: Hey, Lindsay. How are you? Congratulations on the launch.
0: Thank you. Thank you for being here today with us. So many things to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right, let's so
1: many things.
0: first talk a little bit about your background in the military. So you were in for 13 years?
1: That's correct, yeah. I enlisted in 1990. Uh, just a little background, I come from a military family. My dad was in for 31 years. Uh, he retired as a command sergeant major in 1988. Uh, following him, my two brothers also went in, uh, respectively from 88 and 89, and then I followed in nineteen ninety. So good times. Um, you know, after basic and AIT, I was lucky enough to be sent over to Korea while my two brothers were fortunate enough to win my father's heart, and they were deployed to Gulf War I or Desert Shield and then Desert Storm, as it was so called. So when I say winning my father's heart, it's just the combat element at that time. And I went to Korea, so it's cool.
0: The so Korea was cooler, you think?
1: Not at all. <laughs> Not at <laughs> I all. wouldn't think so. Not at all. My dad just laughed when I got my orders out of AIT. I went home for a week, and then I shipped off, and then the rest is history moving from there. Um, a lot of schools in the beginning. I, uh, I was a radio operator. I was fortunate enough to go to Ranger school in 1993 and uh, when after completing ranger school, there was a little thing called long range reconnaissance and surveillance, the uh, LRS detachments that were being connected to MI units, and then I picked up a gig, if you will, with 519th MI uh, out of Fort Bragg, and uh, then came all the fun in my life. It was exactly where I wanted to be. Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect, I just know that I got a lot of feedback on what that dynamic was going to entail as far as uh, the mission and how it was going to go across the board, and everybody wanted to touch it. So uh, coming out of uh, Fort Bragg, I was as far as deployments are concerned. Uh, you know, I went to that little thing called Bosnia. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, having been, having grown up in Europe, uh, Germany and Italy. Uh, I knew exactly where this place was, you know what the region was like. So uh, going over there it was it was pretty short. It was towards the tail end of my first enlistment, and following uh, that deployment, I come out. I have about a year left, and then I got out of I, you know, I left the service after my my initial enlistment, and went into the Immigration Service as I was hired under the Veterans Readjustment Act, and I worked with the INS for two years and recognizing that government service was what it was at that time and moving towards the need for a college degree to move up in the ranks. I decided to go to school part-time while I was working with the INS in Louisiana, and then ultimately I decided to go full-time. And I started out of the school in Louisiana. I transferred out to ASU in 1997, and then I got picked up on IRR and returned to service in 1999. And I finished it out in 2004.
0: Okay, so you got out in
1: 2004. So you've been out about, yep. yeah, you've been out a minute then. Yeah, a little bit of a minute. Uh, my deployment after uh, going back in, uh, you know, 9-11 rolls up. And I was, you know, still with five nineteen, And we moved over to Afghanistan in uh, late 2001. I was in the coast province. I was uh, at Chapman. Uh, FOB and also Salerno uh, we we're based out of our you know we we're home based out of Bagram uh, for intake on Intel uh, but my dynamic moved in and around that particular region uh, around Chapman and Salerno and the Coast Air, Air Base and I ended up leaving after I got out in January of 2004 I went from the from the field if you will to back to the classroom at Arizona State University I finished up my last year graduating from Arizona State with a degree in history and a degree in political science. Uh, ultimately, my goal was to become a high school teacher, which I did uh, become a high school teacher. And I taught for 12 years. And uh, you know, for 12 years I was battling the lower standards and low expectations that we see in today's uh, educational space in K-12. And after 12 years, I just got tired of it, and I moved over to higher ed in veteran services exclusively. I worked for one school uh, for about a year, and then I was picked up by New Horizons of Phoenix by Zach Hiscock, who's the president and CEO of that uh, of that training center, and it's been off the, off the rails since then. Uh, I, I can't say enough about the organization. Uh, the organization is predicated on the mindset of, Uh, Let's look at something new. And that mindset could not have come at a better time than in 2020 when looking for something new in the way things are done in higher ed. uh, You know, we had to find new ways to survive, and it was a pretty seamless um, transition, if you will. Uh, We looked at everything that other schools were doing, and we decided that we're not going to marry up to the sacred cow way of doing things. In fact, I have a saying when it comes to the sacred cow, New Horizons of Phoenix figured out how to make good hamburgers out of the sacred cow. We really went off uh, the beaten path, and we started to look at what is our footprint in the military community, which also uh, you know, it, it involves veteran community, uh, veteran spouse, dependent, so on and so forth. What is our space? What is our footprint in that community, and how can we enhance it? So I was unleashed, if you will, to find new ways, and I think that we've done that. Uh, new Horizons is a great organization. The company itself, not just in Phoenix, but we have been the, the company has been around for 35 years. We're located mm-hmm. in over 70. We have over 70 different branches in the United States, and I believe we are located in 13 other countries. So we are a global company. Uh, you know, in short, we've, we, we seek to fill the gap. In, in tech. And we're trying to you know, upskill uh, the IT workforce. We work both in the business-to-consumer and also the business-to-business business, uh, community. For what I do and what, what I'm you know, attached to with New Horizons of Phoenix is our Rally Point CTI program. CTI is Career Transition Initiative. We have looked at the problem of the underemployment and unemployment of veterans, as well as their spouses, and we have launched a program back in 2019. I wasn't part of the launch, but we launched this program that is geared towards cybersecurity and network professional. As you know, and probably your listeners know, IT is the way of the future. It touches every business, big or small, and uh, we are looking to fill the void that we are seeing in IT. Uh, we have instituted a fast-track boot camp style, which a lot of schools have done uh, to fill the void. I think that we do it a lot better, not only just the academics, which are black and white, but our wraparound services. We have included and built into our operational model a, a veteran or military-centric component. And uh, that is really geared towards taking the active duty member and helping him or her trans- transition to a career in IT, or taking the veteran who's been out for six months, you know, five years, ten years, and help them transition into a career in IT. There are plenty of jobs out there. Bureau of Labor and Stats show that we're going to have over a million jobs just in cyber open by 2028. And we are we are part of we're the one cog in the wheel to uh, fill the void. Our career services, our wraparound services, if you will. Uh, it helps a, ve- a transitioning veteran and service member in resume prep, personal branding, everything outside of the classroom. And we have seen great success. New Horizons of Phoenix has.
0: So in order to use your services, you the only requirement is to be a veteran or you do your services through Arizona?
1: Well, um, yeah, as far as the veteran component for the rally points, but to be honest, you don't have to, we, we have taken on, Uh, referrals, if you will, from from other organizations, third-party partnerships that we are affiliated with. Uh, They have sent over, hey, I have a veteran who has this much experience. He or she is looking for a job. Can you look at their resume? And our Career Services team will look at their resume, even if they're not a student, and then tweak it and then contact that veteran and say, look, this is what you need to do. This is what we're going to help you do and uh, help you with. And then after doing so, we'll cut them loose because not everybody wants to come into the IT space. However, right. when it comes to veterans, we're willing and able to help them all. Uh, you know, New Horizons of Phoenix. We are. Uh, we work with uh, 35, right around 35 companies, not just in the state of Arizona but nationwide. And we also have a DoD staffing component that's located in Tucson. So if you're a veteran and if you want to get back under that DoD umbrella because you loved it so much. Well, we have an opportunity for you.
0: And then, how did you guys gain the distinction uh, by the Arizona Department of Veterans Services as being a veteran supportive campus? How, do, how does that work?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So, uh, thirty-four different colleges and, and universities, both public and private, carry that distinction. So, it's an application that you have to fill out, and then you have to kind of, you know, you have to put the data forth so you can receive that distinction. We, uh, you know, we're not a traditional campus. We're a training center. So we have six classrooms uh, in our center. And at the time of the, of the application, we were doing all in-person instruction. So uh, you, you look at what, what it means to be veteran supportive. You take out the, you take out the classroom element as far as instruction, because like I said, it's black and white. And what do you offer the veteran? Well, we offer one-on-one study sessions. We offer group study sessions. Uh, tutoring, we offer test prep both practice and for the actual IT certification uh, we were the first in the state of, all, of Arizona whether it be public or private to offer a standalone uh, area where a veteran could do their telemed appointments if they're using telemed with the VA so during our in-person instruction we did we have we, have, we still have the space on campus where a veteran can go into a soundproof private room and if they need it, uh, the veteran can use that room for their telemed appointment. It's locked, it's secure, It's it's set up with a webcam and screen so they can converse with the uh, medical professional on the other side. We so did- is that,
0: that. is that service being heavily utilized?
1: Well, since we're virtual, not so much right now, but it is available. And we use these best practices to kind of spread the word to the other 34 schools in the state of Arizona that carry that distinction. In addition to the veteran supportive campus, We're also a veteran-supportive employer, and that distinction comes from the Arizona Coalition of Military Families located here in in the state of Arizona. They work closely with the State Department of Veterans Services, and by being a veteran-supportive employer, what do we do? Well, we look at candidates across the board. We just hire a lot of veterans, okay? Our CEO is not a veteran. However, uh, roughly 52% of our staff are veterans, uh unfortunately most of them are marines
0: uh, (laughs) unfortunately
1: and yeah i'm not going to hold that against them because they're a great group of guys but we all carry the same mindset and that is the veteran and his or her family is priority one and with that mindset and that's a mindset that we have spread out we have put it we have put it out there and put other people on notice that this is what we are doing we want to share our best practices and there are some schools in the state of Arizona that have followed our best practices. In fact, I've, I've talked to several other schools outside of the state of Arizona, and we also share our best practices with them as well. And, you know, and I take away from those schools just like I give to them. This is what we're doing. I want to see what, what other people are doing. One school in particular is Clemson University. Uh, the, the, the director of the Veterans Services uh, at Clemson is amazing he sent me a 14 page, this is what we do. And I think that Clemson, as far as an East Coast school, is. if you look at their services and what they are doing, uh, they should be replicated. There's a lot of schools like that, but I tell you, uh, that director has done a lot over the the past two years. Uh, I remember when I first contacted him, he was new. Uh, He's, uh, I believe he's a retired E7 infantry guy, You know, he's a banger when he was, uh, you know, in the service and he takes that same mindset with respect to how he's running that, uh, department at Clemson and getting a lot of traction.
0: That's very interesting. So you guys have recently, uh, won the gold medallion award.
1: That is correct. Tell me about that. And
0: was it presented in person or is that on hold until COVID's over?
1: Yeah. So, you know, everything, everything that is COVID-19, every, you know, we got, uh, we applied for it back in uh, March I believe and it was awarded we got the, the letter that it was that we were actually going to uh, win the award back in October the higher vets gold medallion, gold medallion award is offered or excuse me it's awarded by the bureau of labor uh, or department of labor excuse me it is the only federal level veteran hiring uh, award it's the only one now states have their own but Department of Labor has elected to come out with this this award. And what it's focused on is recruiting, retaining, and developing professionally veterans. And, you know, you can't say enough. I can't say enough about our team and what we do. Uh, On the professional development side, we we do. We hire veterans. They are instructors. They are managers of our our student services. They are um, IT specialists. And not only are, they, are we just hiring them and also retaining them, but we're also growing them professionally, myself included. You know, there was a lot of things that I thought I knew, but when I came into this space and I was allowed to do what I do, and that is to uh, just go out there and put the feelers out there. Again, uh, making a hamburger out of the sacred cow. I love saying it because we go against the grain, and we're not just going to settle for what's been done because, to be honest, what has been done for the past 20 or 30 years, when it comes to veteran advocacy on campus, is not working. And I would take that uh, a little further, and I'd, I'd apply it to the post 9 uh, 11 veteran. You know, there are numerous schools, and I, I'd be more than happy to rattle them off here on your podcast, but uh, I think that could get me in a little trouble. But they are both public, and they're both private. And both industries have done wrong to veterans. The post 9-11 veteran has a lot of issues, if you will, that they are dealing with. Not all, but many. And when you put them into a school setting, they may have issues of not being able to get to class on time. Maybe they're having a hard time because they've been diagnosed with PTSD and they're having a bad day. Maybe they're walking into class and there's an anxiety level that got ticked off and now they can't attend class. And when they can't attend class, some of these schools are saying, oh, sorry, you can't attend class. We're not going to do anything for you.
0: Well, I know that you and I have talked about this extensively because um, when I was getting my master's degree, I had uh, I had really bad PTSD and I didn't finish my fourth semester. And so um, – I had to like take my, in order for the GI bill to pay for the next semester in order to finish my master's, I had to go back and change all my grades. And I forget what it was. Was it fail or F Uh,
1: or incomplete? Incomplete. Yeah. You probably receive an incomplete because that gives you some time in the next semester to make up the work.
0: But But I was really worried that they were going to bill me for that semester. And like it, it was an expensive school.
1: For sure, and that's what happens to a lot of people. Now, it's not, it's not really the fault of the VA because the VA is no. only listening to the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I have a student, uh, well, I have several students that, that, that attend our training right now, but one in particular was going to a school, community college up in Washington. Back in 2016, he just had enough. He had, uh, you know, he, had a, he has a TBI. He was severely depressed. In any event, uh, February of 2016, he attempted suicide. Uh, thankfully, that he was uh, he wasn't successful, but he did contact the school. He contacted them from the psych ward of the of the hospital they was in. The Veteran Services Department at that particular school did nothing for him, and by doing nothing for him, they just allowed his you know his time in class, if you will, to move forward. He received all failing grades, and mm-hmm. subsequently, to, subsequent to that, he, a report was made to the VA, and he was billed. Uh, thousands of dollars in tuition, as well as books. What I'm calling, what I'm looking for, and this is one of my ideas on a proposed piece of legislation, is to give veterans protections on college campuses, and it has to be legislative. It just can't be a policy that comes out of the director's office uh, for post-I-11 GI Bill benefits. It has to have some teeth, it has to be a piece of legislation, and what I'm looking for is to, for the legislature to write out a law that says we are gonna protect veterans. We're going to protect them from the, the nefarious practices of colleges and universities, both public and private, that are only looking for the quick buck. Everybody, has, as a veteran, if you have post-9-11 GI Bill, you know you are a walking blank check. Yes. And They're going to get their money. They're going to get their money from a veteran before they get a, before they get their money from a civilian. And unfortunately,
0: schools. Well, know- and also, I think that they know. I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. But also, I think those schools know that for the most part, you're going to graduate. They know that the GI Bill is going to push you through, and they know that that you're almost a guaranteed graduate, unless, of course, you have the issues that you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, for the uh-huh. most part, you're a guaranteed.
1: Oh, yeah, you're, well, you're, yeah, you're 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 guaranteed money. There's no guarantee for graduation, though. But you know, just like for their civilian counterpart. But yeah, you're guaranteed. Well,
0: but I think from the veteran's point of view, though, you you like are going to push yourself through the school because you have that free money, and you know that you may have to pay it back sure. if you
1: don't sure, finish. Sure, gosh, yeah. they know that they earn that. You know, it's not a grant. You know, you you earn your post nine eleven GI Bill benefit. You earn Voc Rehab because of your service. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, we're just looking for schools that actually be veteran advocates. And one school in particular, I'll use this as a really good example, Arizona Western College. Uh, Rebecca Cordero-Torres, I may have her name mixed up, she's the director for vet services down at uh, AWC, Arizona Western College. She does an amazing piece of uh, service with respect to veterans. And this is how it goes. If a veteran is absent at AWC more than two times, It it prompts the teacher who can see in the role in the the SIS that that student who's missing is classified as a veteran. The instructor then puts in place a, a, a process, and that is to notify Student Services, hey, this student who is a veteran has been absent from my class for two days, and I don't know why. Student Services will then contact the Veterans Services Department, and Rebecca's team will then notify a third party off campus, usually the VFW, the American Legion, or even one of her staff members, and they will actually call out to that, veterans, that veteran via phone, but also go to that veteran's address to do a welfare check. Now, that is service, and that is the, that's making sure that the veteran is taken care of because in many cases, the veteran is not doing well and needed to be checked up on. So I, I just think that legislatively, we need something out there that says that we're going to do this. We protect everybody else. And it's time that veterans are, are protected as well and not just treated as a blank check.
0: No, I, I definitely completely agree with you. And I, I do want to talk about some of the, the transition issues that you do see with veterans going to their master's program or undergraduate program. Like what are some of the stresses that you see and some of the transition challenges that you see?
1: A lot of the transition, uh, the challenges in transition are, you know, during their time when they're still on active duty, that last 180 days, did they go to all the TAP meetings that they were, they were, said, they were told that they have to go to? What kind, of, um, what kind of advice were they given at TAP on the education side? What kind of schools were promoted? What, did they make an education and career plan, you know, that, an action plan, an ECAP? That, that that acronym that ECAP I know is a K twelve uh, term or you know I guess dynamic but you know you should be making an education uh, and career action plan and you know find out what you want to do instead of just releasing these guys with a two fourteen and saying all right good luck go find a school you got to find out what they want to do and then also be honest as far as real uh, is it is it realistic to say tell your tap counselor that you want to be a day trader. You know, a, a good story coming out of a, uh, out of a army base in the Western region. I was just, oh, Colorado. Uh, a couple of soldiers, they, they articulated to their counselor. They wanted to be day traders. They wanted to, they want to sit at home and day trade and make millions of dollars. They wanted to be the wolf of whatever street they lived on, right? And making money. Well, after telling their counselor this, and the counselor just basically said, okay, that sounds really cool. I mean, that sounds awesome. Well, what the counselor maybe didn't tell him or didn't even know is the amount of money, amount of capital you have to have in an account to be a day trader. Uh, both of these soldiers were E-4s, and they, you know, they might be part of the E-4 mafia. I'm not really sure. But you know, their wishes or dreams to be a day trader, I don't think were realistic only because they didn't have a plan except they wanted to be day traders and slick their hair back and wear $1,000 suits. I'm not really sure. But, you know, I heard that little gem uh, from another transitioning soldier and I thought it was, you know, I don't think that is the norm. I think that for the most part TAP does what it can to ensure that uh, soldiers are receiving or military personnel are receiving a fair, balanced, and well-advised transition but a lot of the people that I talk to have not. And well, that
0: was my question because do you really, I mean, I, cause I don't believe that. And I, I took tap, I believe five years ago and I didn't find that it to be helpful at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't know, like, do you think it, has it gotten progressively better? Cause I know they put a lot more money into it or yeah. do you think it still has a lot more work that needs to be done?
1: I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done. You know, I don't think money solves all the problems you know again it just comes down to good advice you know when you know if you have a a, a soldier or a service member is exiting and you and they say i want to go get a psych degree i want to be a psychiatrist okay do you know how much schooling that that takes because mm-hmm. you can't just go to Arizona state university and get a psychology degree and expect that you're going to be a counselor right off the bat in fact there's a there's there's a pretty good plan or a pathway it's usually your four year degree your degree excuse me then your master's and then that that awesome PhD. And then you get to start solving problems. But really until then, you're not gonna really realize your dream of being a psychiatrist because of the amount of school. But again, they're not getting the advice that they need. So expectation
0: and, management.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of a lot of people are getting out whether they're for 20 plus years or four years, they're you know, maybe their initial enlistment. They're not receiving that information. They get out and they become static. They have that gap year or the gap two years, three year gap, so on and so forth. If you know, my advice to any transitioning uh, service member, and you know, it doesn't matter what realm of the military you come from. When you get out, stay busy, stay busy, stay alert, and most importantly, find a purpose okay? Because life on the outside is nothing like it was on the inside. And I, I use a window one, two, and three mentality. When you're in, you're told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Doesn't matter if you're an E1, moving all the way up, right? There's always someone there to tell you how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. There's direction. You come out, those services or that, that, uh, that mindset doesn't exist. And there's a lot of discouragement the loss of purpose is one of the biggest problems I see with veterans today. They have lost their purpose, and that's that That could be debilitating. It no, I, c- I
0: completely agree with you 100%, um, because when I got out, I, I went and got my master's degree, and I was so lost, and not lost because I didn't know what to do, just lost because I was surrounded by all of these students who had gone right from their undergraduate degree to their master's degree. They were at least 10 years younger than me um, their parents were paying for their school. Uh, I just, we were not like, there was no, I had no connection with them. And so I felt really lost in my master's program because I couldn't connect with anyone. And I had like, you know, just left the defense language Institute. I had had two deployments and like all these things. And so I do agree with you on finding a purpose, but I think that it's also like, that's easier said than done because what is that purpose and how, and I don't think that you that it, you just instantly snap your fingers and you know what it is.
1: Yeah, for sure. And when I say finding a purpose, you know, one of the um, one thing that I I think I learned, I, I read the book uh, Herb Thompson's uh, you know Transition Mission, I believe. Yes, uh, Transition you know, Mission. In his preface,
0: not he, to be confused with Matt Lewis's Mission Transition, which is no, also really good.
1: <laughs> I have not read Matt's book, but Herb's book. I I really liked what he said in the beginning, and it was nobody cares. You're a veteran. Okay. So true. A lot of people think that I'm crazy for saying it because I'm just repeating what he said, right? No, it's true. He's the one that wrote the book, right? It just kind of matches up with my mentality. Nobody cares. Okay. Now thank you for your service. All that good stuff. Tell me what it was like. You get to tell some stories. This is to some um, some civilians. They don't understand anyway. Um, But Nobody really cares. At the end of the day, you've got to prove your well, you got to prove your worth to any organization. So when I say finding your purpose, how do you fit in? You know, I found out how I fit in with New Horizons after I cold called Zach Hiscock. I said, hey, I work over here. This is what I want to do. But I also want to tell you how you can better your business with respect to the military community. He set up a meeting with me about a day later after I messaged him on LinkedIn. I sat down with him. He had a notepad. I just had all this stuff in my head that I was telling him. He wrote everything down, and I said everything that everything that I am telling you. At my old job, they won't do it. I want to do this, right? That goes back to the New Horizons of Phoenix uh, mindset. You know, tell me something new, right? Again, getting away from the sacred cow. How things are done for years and years and years it's time to mix it up and 2020 has showed us you know that you know has set conditions to make sure that you are either going to adjust adapt and overcome or you will you will cease to exist Okay let's go
0: back I have two points here okay so your first the first point was nobody cares that you're a veteran and I completely agree with you on that I think it can give you some street cred in the veteran community if you're trying to connect with other veterans for a job but I think in the civilian community or or, like, or just being a, a normal student in a college it means absolutely nothing and because I went to a very liberal school it actually means that they they actually don't like you um, for you know whatever their reasons are. Um, so I think that that is very true, but I also think that there, and like you said, there are ways to promote yourself, but you, you found your purpose in your current job, but there had to have been a huge transition period because there w- was time in between there. So what did you do in that period that brought you to your purpose?
1: So I, you know, when I, when I decided I want to be a high school teacher, right? I want to teach, poli- I want to teach American government and history. Those are two things I'm passionate about. Okay. I lo- I talk about it every day. Well, I thought that I can take what I know and my passion for history, my passion for American government, and I can just, you know, I can teach it, all right? And, uh, you know, I, I came to the, to the realization that I really can't teach anything. Teachers can't teach, they don't teach. If you do anything, you're, all you're going to do with your students is you're gonna force them or help them think for themselves. They can, you know, they, they think about the elements of history, the times in history. They think about politics or how American government came to be. And, you know, I was, I was living in la-la land thinking that I was going to change the minds of the youth. Well, it took me a while, about eight years into my uh, time in teaching, where I realized that it's not the students that, that killed teaching for me. I mean, sure, there were, those te- there were those students that said, I don't care, right? And, you know, in the military, we had people like, I don't care, you know, F that, you know, who, who cares about that? Why are we doing this? What's going on here? You see it in every every community, if you will. Uh, what killed me, though, what killed my time in teaching is the administrative element, you know, the pass every student, the you can't fail students. you got to give them every opportunity to succeed. Well, sometimes people need to fail in order to succeed. And they weren't allowing me to do that. So I stuck with it for another four years, and it was debilitating. You know, I mean, I I got to the point in my last four years of teaching, I I, I couldn't stand going to the school. When I got into my classroom and closed my door, that was when I was in my element. I had no outside forces messing with me, right? If parents wanted to question what I was saying, Well, then I would, you know, I would invite them in my classroom, not only to watch the instruction, but also let's have a conversation. Uh, You know, everybody knew what my political leanings are, all right, or were uh, at the time. So, um, you know, that jerk, that that time, 12 years in teaching really opened my eyes that, yeah, I was looking for a purpose, but my purpose was based off of uh, an idealistic way of looking at things. So then I said, all right, well, I'm going to leave teaching. I'm going to go into higher ed, right? But I'm not going to teach in higher ed. I'm going to go work with veteran services because I, you know, just going back, ever since I've gotten out of service, I've always worked with veterans. I always worked, you know, whether it be a like a a nonprofit or with municipalities here in Arizona. Certain cities had great veteran programs. I would go to give them uh, educational advice. You know, look, you know, what are you looking for? So on and so forth. Maybe a liberal arts college isn't what you're looking for. Maybe you need to go to a trade school. You know, there's purpose in trade. Right. So, you know, it took a little, you know, you know, the bumps and bruises, 12 years. I came up in the higher ed. But then when I was in higher ed and working in veteran services within under the student services umbrella, I started to see the same things. I would I would say, hey, we should do it this way or maybe we can try it this way. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, a trailblazer by any means, but I, I know when something's easier, you know, I, you know I, can, I can talk to a veteran and if they're having problems, I'm going to take some time out of what I'm doing to talk to that veteran. I was told that I can't do that. When I'm told I can't talk to a veteran because he or she's having a problem, I have an issue with that. You were told by who? By my director who said, look, we're not here to counsel them. We're not here to, we're not here, yeah, we're not here to, you know, put ourselves out on a limb. You know, everybody th- thinks on the legal side. I said, okay, that's fine, right? So, uh, like I said, with, with where I'm at now, I've had the opportunity to kind of go off the reservation, and I can talk to veterans about anything. You know, I onboard every veteran coming into our school. And by onboarding, I have a, I have a one-on-one conversation with them. And I don't talk about school. I don't talk about what they expect to get out of the program. That's already been done. I talk about veteran-centric elements. Do you have a service-connected disability? If not, when it well, if so, when is it
0: coming apply, in? And when have you, you know, applied?
1: When is it, when have you applied? Have you gone back? You know, every you know every two to three years. You know, life. You know, your disability can get worse. It yes. Can also get better. But you know. You know, do you need assistance with that? I have, th- I have a third-party organization here in the state of Arizona that will help you with that. But also, if you, now that we're remote, I have, third, I have, you know, Department of Military Affairs for every state in the union that has a representative that will help you. Now, it's not just a DFW or, you know, DAV or those, part, those organizations. There's actually state organizations that will help you. Um, what meds are you on? You know, and I don't write this stuff down. I tell them, like, your secrets die with me. No, I don't write anything down. I'm simply trying to find out what is going on in your life as a veteran. Are you married? Do you have children? How's that working out? In this world of COVID, are you employed? If you're not employed, do you need financial assistance? There is millions of dollars out there that are open up to veterans, not in loans, but in grants to help transition or to help make life better. And, you know, we, that's the way we onboard them. You know, I I, I asked them specifically, are you taking any meds? Do you have a, uh, do you have a, uh, you know, a disability that's going to prohibit you from training?
0: No, I agree. These are like very, very important questions. And as you know, that those, these questions and the answers and how they're dealt with can very much be you know either their success or their demise because if you have someone who's taking trazodone at night and wakes up at noon the next day like they're they can't take morning classes or they're not functioning right or they're on gabapentin or they're tired all the time or they have a tbi
1: yeah you're naming off all my meds but uh but
0: (laughs) but i mean even like for me like i wore hearing aids for a while i don't wear them now but like in class if the professor wasn't speaking to a certain like level i couldn't hear him so I eventually had to ask to sit in the front of the class, but that was like so embarrassing for someone who had just come on, come off active duty, who was a, who had a company commander and had done, you know, all these things to, to actually like say to my professor, Hey, could I possibly have a front row seat? I mean, so I had to advocate for myself, but I can imagine sure. that there's a lot of other veterans that just maybe are embarrassed or don't, you know, don't know to advocate for themselves.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I tell them, I say, look, you know, at the, at the very, at the, in the very end, no matter where you've been, any other school, any other training program, you know, you, you use the word advocate. That is, you know, I tell them, I'm your advocate. You need an advocate, you know. You do. Um, and you know, just let me do what let me do what I do. You know, with with the cooperation and full support of the team at New Horizons. You know, and you know, most recently we had a student that started. He has, you know. Um, you know, anxiety, depression, but he also, you know, because of all the drugs that he's on and uh, he had a stroke. So when I look at what we do when we're onboarding veterans, I can tell you for a fact, well, no, I'll never, I won't use that word, I don't think any other college or university out there is doing it. And I think that they need to do it to make sure that they know what's coming into their school, not because of the risk, but because you may have to settle in on some accommodations and modifications. This student most recently that started, he had a stroke just due to his meds. So a person with a stroke is going to have some cognitive deficiencies. I don't know what they are because I've only talked to him over the phone, but I know, and by what he's told me, he has them. So now I have... Right,
0: and you're not a medical professional, but you can still help him mitigate.
1: Definitely not a doctor, you know. I try to play one every now and then, but, you know, that's my personal life. Um, You know, I look at... What can I do? What modifications or accommodations can I put in place to help this student move forward in training? You know, some schools would say, oh, well, I'm not really sure, you know, disability services, not sure what we can do. You know, I, I don't have a not sure what I can do, but, all right? A- anything and everything. I love have. it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> not everything that we can do at New Horizons to help, this, help the veteran, again, transition Into a career, you know, not just a job. Anybody can get a job. We're looking at careers because whether you're in for four years or whether you're in for 30 years, the military at some point was a career, right? Believe it or not, you don't have to do four, you don't have to do 20 years to have a career in the military because when you have a career, everything in your life is about that particular job. And that's what every soldier, marine, airman, sailor, and coastie does. It is their life. And, you know, we have, we have to have that mindset. There's a lot of people in the veteran advocacy space that do that. uh, But there are certainly a lot that don't do it. And uh, it's my goal to just, again, get the word out. You know, we use a lot of social media platforms. This podcast is going to serve as a, you know, a call to action for other people in the advocacy space for veterans and their, their families to say, look, we need to do more. We, you know, New Horizons isn't perfect, but we're focused on. We have four pillars: it's family, it's employment, it's education and wellness. All four of those are intertwined with each other. So the family does better if the employment's good. The family does better if the finances are good. The family does better if the if wellness is is good, and everything vice versa. Everything is tied in to those four pillars. Right.
0: And and to go back to that a little bit, because in the military, all those things are tied in together and all those things are taken care of. When you're in the military, you kind of provide that service that, that brings all those things back to the center. Right. And so I think that, that I think that that's very important that you're very vet, uh, veteran centric and also looking at what they need to be successful. For sure. And it, it can be kind of like a lull or it can be kind of a A huge space when you have to figure out what your medical is going to be and you have to figure out how you're going to move and you have to figure out how you're going to use your BAH and you're going to, you're going to do all of these things and take care of your family. So like you said, these are all very important factors that go into the success of a veteran transitioning.
1: Yeah, and in addition to everything that we do in the now for veterans, you know, moving through our program presently, uh, you know, we have, we have a program called Alumni, Life, Alumni for Life or Lifelong Learning Component. Even if you, took our pro, you were in our program or just one of our classes a year ago, if you want to retake that test for, the cert- for purposes of certification, you can come back and audit that class. If you took our class a year ago, our, our program, the CTI program, a year ago, and you haven't tested for any certifications, or maybe you have and now you're looking for a job, but we haven't heard from you in a, in a, in a year, call, they can, a veteran can call us up and say, look, I want to take, take advantage of the career services component that you guys have. Well, that's all well and good. Send us your resume. We're going to put our career services team on. Uh, on your resume, we're going to have them reach out to you to find out what we can do to now transition you, transition you into you know the interview phase of finding a job in IT. You know, five years from now, it doesn't matter. You're an alumni for life, and I, I don't know of any other college or university that does that. Everything is free. You come back. You want to audit a class that you've already taken because you want, you need a refresher. Come on back. You need your resume reforted, reformatted. Come on back. Are you working and now you need to upskill to get a better position, come on back. If it's a new class, a new certification, obviously we have price points that are available to veterans uh, that make it, uh, you know, that we're offering relevant and intuitive educational opportunities for veterans. Again, going back to the underemployment and unemployment of veterans, it's, it's a demographic that is completely uh, wholeheartedly underserved on every college uh, and university campus as well as a trade school. It's not to say they're not recruiting, but what are they doing for the veteran moving forward? No, and
0: and thank you for everything that you guys are doing. Um, And if someone wants to get in contact with you at the New Horizons of Phoenix, what is the website and how can they reach you?
1: Well, the best way to reach me, two ways. Uh, They can email me at tim.kane, as K-A-N-E, at nhphoenix.com, or they can call me, 623-734-6767, just an FYI, that's my personal cell, but it's the best way to get a hold of me. My hours of availability are from 0, 0,500 to 2,300 at night. That means 11 at night to 5 in the morning. Thank if you for clarifying. You. Yeah. You know, just, you know, call me up. I don't always talk about New Horizons, you know, to be honest with you. I talk to spouses. I talk to other veterans who don't want to get into IT, but maybe they want to get into another educational space. That's all well and good. I'll talk to you. You know, I'll refer you out to anybody who I know that can help you, the veteran, get to where you want to be. You want to be an HVAC technician? That's cool. I'll put you in touch with Ken Goodrich with Ghetto Air Conditioning. He wants to hire 50 new veterans in 2021, and he's offering all that training for free. Wow. That's just part of the network. That's part of these businesses. And some of these businesses are not owned by veterans, including New Horizons of Phoenix but there's a lot of people out there that wanna do right by the veteran, and we're seeing it, and we're associated with them, and you know, by all means, seek us out, contact us, and utilize the networks that are out there.
0: Awesome, okay, so I kinda of wanna move the conversation to your thoughts on HR 4625, uh, the Protect the GI Bill Act that has recently passed the Senate. Um, so, this, this falls underneath the Veterans Care and Benefits Improvement Act of 2020, and I kind of want to get your
1: thoughts on this bill and what you like about it and what you don't like about it. Okay. Well, there's not a lot that I don't like about it, and I'll, to be okay. honest with you, I haven't read the entire bill because I had this thing, uh, ADHD, I'm like a, I'm a squirrel on a really hard stimulant. Uh, if I see something that's gonna distract me, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention to that. but in any event, Xanax? Yeah, something. So this bill comes from uh, a friend of mine, Aniela Zamansky, who is an attorney with veteran education success? Who I absolutely
0: <laughs> love. Let me put a plug in for her. She's absolutely
1: amazing. Thanks to Lindsay. you know thank you, Lindsay, for introducing me to Aniela because I always turn to her for a lot of questions. Especially when it comes to what schools are doing bad, and what are they doing good, and stuff like that. In any event, she sent me this uh, this piece of legislation. I shared it out with my network because I think that anytime good legislation comes out, uh, you know, to help veterans, I think it should be talked about, promoted, uh, and I think that everybody should, you know, t- should talk about it. You know, I've I've expressed my. Uh, might want to look at that piece of legislation that we talked about earlier, that proposal that protects veterans on, you know, on, the, on, the, um, on the mental health side. You know, can they complete their schooling without being penalized? You know, let's look at how we can better our service of veterans. Um, one, a, a couple of points. Uh, the legislation calls for, requires risk-based reviews for all schools. This is really important. Because this is gonna find where, we're gonna find the schools that don't do right by, by the veteran. And for your listening audience, there are a lot of schools out there that have been sued a lot of times because of the nefarious uh, or unethical, I guess, unethical practices against veterans. And thank you. Well, let's me- stop
0: for a second. Yeah. I wanna ask you,
1: let's list a couple of them because. You wanna list the schools? Yes. Uh, University of Phoenix. Grand Canyon University, University of North Carolina, those are three that come to mind. Uh, there's some tech schools. Um, you know, there are several out there that have a laundry list of lawsuits, and these lawsuits come from the complaints that veterans, uh, you know, you know, have launched. You know, they they have articulated, you know, what, you know, this is what happened to me. You know, unfortunately, you know, they got caught. And now they're being sued. Well, let's talk about
0: the University of Phoenix for a second because I feel like that is a school that a lot of veterans use or even active duty service members sure. use. So what is the deal with them?
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's a monster. You know, obviously it has a great backstory. It was, you know, created in the garage of some guy and then they move forward. Uh, and then they have this great online platform. They make learning easy. It's for the adult learner. But when it comes to the veterans, again, the uh, marketing practices, the recruiting practices, paying their uh, enrollment counselors to actually, you know, you know, to get leads and to recruit, all of that has been made illegal. And sometimes they just continue to do it. They overpromise and under-deliver. That's a big issue, all right? When you look at the University of Phoenix and who it was run by back in the day, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the same person that was running it 20 years ago, 15 years ago, is the same person that transferred over to another college, or excuse me, another university, and is running that university. And that university has also been been sued, all right? And, you know, it's all coming from the complaints of veterans. I encourage every veteran to speak up, okay? You know, and contact the school. If you're unhappy about the school, contact the school first. Tell them what your problem is. And if the school is unwilling to help you to reconcile the issue and to mitigate, you know, future, uh, you know, complaints, then perhaps you need to contact, you know, an attorney. Perhaps you need to contact Veteran Education Success because not only will they help you as a veteran with a complaint, but they're also, they are also—they also have their hand in a lot of key pieces of legislation, like the one that we're talking about.
0: Well, to so ask a question on what you just said, so if you are like at the initial level of having issues with your college, who do you who do you suggest contacting on a college campus? It, uh, the veteran, the veteran
1: service organization, the veteran, or uh, veteran services—the veteran services desk, if you will, the department, okay. will if see, they have one. Though I don't know if everybody yeah. has one. If they have one. And then, you got to, you know, and, and then I would also encourage every veteran that once you launch a complaint, once you start that process, you need to keep a very good record of what is happening. You need to you have a record of the problem. Every phone call, every email, you need to save it. Because at times, nothing will happen, and then you're going to escalate it. And when you do escalate it, you want to have a record of it. Because if, if at some point an attorney becomes involved, They're going to ask you, "Hey, do you have any records?" And what you want to do to make the the dream of that attorney come true is that when they say, "Do you have records of it?" and you pull out a flash drive that says, "I have everything digitally," or I have saved everything, uh, you know, hard copy because I'm crazy because you know I love paper and I love. Because this is what I
0: do. I document.
1: Yeah, I document. Um, You know. It, the, the bill also stops deceptive and misleading advertising, okay? Are the degree programs they are offering, do they actually equal jobs? And we're seeing that a lot of colleges and universities, both public and private, they cannot, again, it's overpromise, underdeliver under uh, What I also like about it is it restores the GI Bill to students whose schools have closed or was disapproved. You look at uh, ITT Tech. You look at Corinthian Colleges. These schools, I know like Corinthian colleges, they were open one day and and, te- and and students arrived the next day to have locks on the doors, chains on the doors. And then they, they lost all their GI bill. Well then, you know, this again, there, there's been some, some, you know, uh, individual uh, measures where the, the, the school reported back to the VA and the GI bill was restored. This bill is looking to restore everybody's. Okay. Okay, so so
0: the way I read the bill is basically if your school closed and then out for a couple of years, that you will receive reimbursement for the time that you spent at that school. And I'm assuming the reimbursement meant that you will just be credited back that time for your GI bill, or how, yeah, you how did you your, perceive
1: that? That's the way I look at it. You get your time back. So you know you you leave the service if you're hundred percent you leave leave the service for 36 months. Let's just say you blew out 12 at Corinthian College or another you know, school that closed up uh, you know, because they weren't doing it right. Well, then all of that would be credited back. And then also there are schools out there that look at, like, especially like liberal arts schools, they may take on the credit that you, uh, the classes uh, that you earn credit in. Uh, you know, I know that there was a law school here in the city of, uh, in, in Phoenix, Phoenix Law School, if I remember, they, they shuttered their doors one day, and all of these law students that thought they were going to this really cool school, they thought they were going to get a law degree, but, you know, it didn't happen because they closed. Well, Arizona State University came, you know, came up and said, hey, you know what, we'll take you in. We'll take you in and we will, uh, you know, complete, help you complete your law degree. Not everybody But, um, you know, some of them. Also, the bill looks to, uh, it tracks the convert for-profit schools, tracks conversion. Now, uh, there are schools out there that were for-profit, and now they are are kind of reclassifying themselves as being non-profit. We have a school here in the city of Phoenix in Arizona that did just that. Wait, let's go back. What does yep. that mean? Break that
0: down for me, because I'm a little confused about how it okay. works.
1: So you have a school that has been a for-profit school forever, right? You Which know,
0: means just, that what I
1: I pay. Doesn't have, yeah, it does have nonprofit status. It's in it for the money, right? Okay. Right, but and it, that's a, it. That's a really that's a really uh, like a pedestrian way of looking at it. But I mean, it's a tax. It's a tax way of looking at it, right? You are now. You're you're a for-profit, meaning you're out there to make money, but you're supposed to deliver a good product. A lot of people, a lot of schools, however, do not deliver a great product, but they're for-profit. They're getting your money, the you overpromise and under-deliver. So then now they say, you know what, we're really losing our asses being for-profit. We can't do things like, I don't know, get on military installations so that we can promote our programs to active duty personnel. Right? So they change it. They say, okay, we are now going to um, change our status from for profit to non profit. But they do so in a very sneaky way. And they may get an umbrella company to oversee their operations. So they are, you know, maybe university A non profit, but they have a management group that is for profit. You know what I'm saying? If you don't understand what I'm saying, just read up on schools like. um, you know, Grand Canyon University, they, they've done that. Uh, you know, I think that Grand Canyon University can be a good school uh, just in general. But I've seen a lot of bad things come out with respect to veterans. You know, they're, they're trying to look good, but they can do a lot better. Uh, so it's, it's going to track that conversion from for-profit to non-profit. And then last but not least, a really good point it includes foster children as dependents. I love is- this one. Now I love this one. Now,
0: now from what I read about it, if the foster child is living with the military or a veteran for 12 months, they can fall into this category.
1: Right. Yep. And you know again, you know foster children for whatever reason they've already had a, you know, they have a they had a like an, an unbalanced childhood to right. put it, you know, lightly. Okay. And every, every type of family picks up, you know, and adopts foster children. It's not just the civilian sector. The, the military sector does this as well. There's so much things that there's so many things that military families do, you know, that equal or, you know, are up to par, but we don't get the credit. They don't get the credit. You know, I just saw a really cool story on LinkedIn. You always see these celebrities going into Walmart or target and buying up the layaway uh, receipts for all these families. They got toys for their kids, and a guy walks in and he you know he says, Alright, you know, give me all the receipts, I'm gonna I'm gonna make them go away and the people can come and pick up their toys. Well you get all this recognition from celebrities out of Hollywood, but here's a really good story out of Fort Campbell. The commander, Lieutenant Colonel type, for Fifth Group Special Forces, I believe, walks into the PX because you know celebrities can't get on post and buy those receipts up. And I believe that it's the battalion commander uh, for uh, fifth fifth group, or the commander for fifth group special forces. He walks into the uh, PX on Fort Campbell and he buys up all the receipts, pays out all the layaways for any and all families. These are layaways that have toys, and it's wow. a really cool write up. It's on LinkedIn. I can't remember his name. How cool, though? Yeah, but he said, "Look, you know, when I was a captain, he he started doing this because he had the money to do that." Now he's a lieutenant colonel, obviously he's got more money, and he's just—he there's a picture of him with a couple of workers, I don't know if they are workers or parents, but he's got a grip of receipts that he's showing, and they're just filled with, you know, Christmas stuff, and he bought it all up, the layaway is gone, and, uh, you know, this is, this is what the military does for the military, and, you know, we're seeing more groups, more schools get out there and doing things uh, for the military. You know, New Horizons of Phoenix, we're affiliated with Military Assistance Mission that does a lot of work here in the state of Arizona. Uh, you know, we're affiliated with a couple of other nonprofits as well. Good. Sorry. You there? Lindsay? Sorry, lost
0: you. Oh, um, sorry. No, I think that's really awesome that, that those things are happening and, you know, yeah, that, that's great. I need to edit that part out. <laughs> I got lost. Um, all right. So I do want to talk about a few more things. Let's talk about your op-ed in military times, because I think this was a great op-ed. Um, I think I actually got to edit it, but it didn't need any editing because it was written so well. But tell me about that and tell me about how easy it was to actually write for them.
1: Uh, so, uh, you know, it was back in August, I submitted an op-ed for the Military Times, I think I was talking to you and you said, you know, you should write this, you should write something because that's what you were doing at the time.
0: Well, let's just say that I wrote one too and it did not get picked up. So I was a little bit jealous that yours did, but I mean, I still think mine was really
1: like, good. This timing, plus, you know, I, I Timing sent,
0: issues and- I,
1: I sent a gift basket with my, uh, my, my submission. Well,
0: well you didn't but, tell me that, I should have done that too.
1: What I do though, I gotta get in where I can fit in. So the, the name of the op-ed is Veterans Fit Into the Tech Industry's New Collar Workers Movement. Now the new collar uh, worker um, you know, term is not my own, okay? That term was actually, uh, that came up by Ginny Rometty from IBM, she was the CEO of IBM. And what it looks at, uh, what a new collar worker is, is a person that looks for alternative pathways to go into a career for you know, to to earn edu- educational credentials, everybody, especially veterans, when you're getting out of the service, they don't have time to sit into sit in a classroom for two, three, four, five years. All right, because they're they're coming out from life, they're just starting a new life. A lot of them have families. You know, they've moved around. You know, for a ton of times, and you know they they're they're now kind of like anchoring in, if you will. So. Uh, we're looking. We look, we started looking at what we're dealing with as new horizons. We're dealing with the new collar worker. They're looking for an alternative pathway. They don't have time to sit into it, Sit in a college class uh, for you know three or four maybe five years. Now, granted, we have a lot of students that have a degree in networking. We have a lot. We have we have yeah. I have three. A students, degree in networking. A degree in cybersecurity, but you know, those, they cannot get jobs, and therefore, um, you know, they have to come in and get their, their certifications to complement their credential. Uh, so when I'm looking at, you know, some of the things I wrote about, uh, when you look at the Bureau of Labor and Stats, they found that six IT job fields projected to experience higher growth. All the data that I used uh, came from BLS and they looked at earning potential of those six jobs, those six jobs with growth, Uh, 40% of the people that were in that uh, particular uh, field were making $60,000 or more and did not have a college degree. So again, what uh, Rometty was talking about is you're looking at people like IBM and Google and other tech giants like that, they're no longer requiring a degree to fill jobs. But in most cases, they are requiring IT-led certifications, so that's okay. kind of you know that was my motivation for writing the op-ed.
0: Yeah, no, I thought it was a really good op-ed, and I thought there was a lot of information there that just the average person would not know about. So, I would yeah. like to talk about one more thing before I let you okay. go because I know that you um, that our time is about to elapse. But so you know that you are on the Carry On podcast. Yeah. And I would like to talk about a time where you felt that you had to carry on in life where you maybe didn't want to or you were struggling. And you kind of look back at it now and you're like, wow, how the hell did I make it through that period? Um, If you could share an example of that,
1: I would. I didn't have it. It wasn't immediately when I got out, but, you know, because, again, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a high school teacher. Uh, I wanted to get as far away from the military uh, as I possibly could. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, be in, you know, you know, running around and, you know, taking orders, if you will. Uh, But again, I got discouraged eight years in and it was uh, it it wasn't a really good time for me. Because then I thought if I can't if I'm not going to do this, I I feel like I would have wasted all that time in college. You know, I have my I got my master's degree Did I waste my time getting my master's degree. So I got discouraged. And, you know, then I got to the point where I wasn't recommending, you know, I I told people I would never get into teaching. It's not worth it and stuff like that. Um, I didn't believe in the troops of teachers program. I thought it was shit. Uh, Let's
0: talk about that because I was actually thinking about applying for it. Why is that program shit?
1: Because they're not honest about where education is. That's all. Yeah. I mean, they're they're again, they, again, it's over promise under deliver. They're, they're preaching that, that this program is so great that being a teacher is so great. And you know, the hours are great. And you don't get it. You don't get into teaching for the money. At least I hope you don't. Unless you, you know, I taught. I not only did I teach, but I coached year round. So you know, I made almost an extra twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a year just in the coaching stipends. Well, they've also
0: put that program on hold because the federal funding yeah. was cut for it. So. And it
1: be because they weren't getting a lot. They weren't getting a lot of traction, and the attrition rate for veterans leaving teaching. The the average teacher. The average uh, time for the you know it, it, well. The time in, in service is less than five years. For veterans, it was even lower. Because again, with veterans, you're going in and you have, you know, you're used to expectations, you're you're used to standards, and all of a sudden you get into a poorly run school. And if it's a poorly run school, you're going to get into the situation where you become discouraged. And if you can't make change, that's the biggest thing that, that I had. You c- I couldn't make any change. Any recommendation that I had, like increasing the expectation. From 60% to 70% as far as a pass rate, they thought I was crazy. So that was very discouraging, and I just, I, I just you know, I was done with it. So, um, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get down into the dumps, if you will, like some people do. But, you know, I see that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they're veterans. That, you know, the discouragement as far as finding a career or a new way of life, uh, I, I, you know, there's, you know you're, you're holding on to life in the military for too long but also you're in like dead end jobs or maybe no job and you're collecting disability. And that's all you have coming in, uh, your relationships are shit, whatever it may be. Well, and you're just not
0: utilizing the skills that you have. You're underutilized in every aspect and you feel like that
1: for sure. And I always, you know, I always say, you know, you know, you, you get what you you get out of it. Not, nothing's going to be given to you. So you have to make the most of it. You know, it's not all on society. you know, the veteran, him or herself, they need to kind of like, you know, pull their bootstraps up, so to speak, and make the most of what's out there for sure.
0: Yeah. And again, I'll mention that I think like, because you're, because you're so good at this, and you're a great advocate that it's, you know, it's easy for you to to say that, but I think that it can be hard for other veterans to do that. So I'm glad that you were able to talk about that today and like inspire people. on like, how do you advocate for yourself? And how do you figure out what is going on?
1: Yeah, like I said, they have you know. You have my contact information. Everybody's going to have it now, so uh, feel free to reach out. And yeah. you know, we have a really good network outside. You know, my network alone for Better Advocacy.
0: Yeah, so thank you so much for being on the Carrion Podcast today. We really appreciated your enthusiasm for this topic.
1: I, really, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay.
1: Bye, Lindsay. Bye.